Now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish, and the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, and year after year, these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to go about fishing. Continually they searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. They sponsored costly nationwide and worldwide congresses to discuss fishing and to promote fishing and hear about all the ways of fishing, such as the new fishing equipment, fish calls, and whether any new bait was discovered. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, they didn't fish. Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't catch fish were really not fishermen, no matter how much they claimed to be. Yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if year after year, year he or she never catches a fish? Is one following if he or she isn't even fishing? These are words taken from a book written in 1982 called The Master's Plan for Making Disciples. And yet, I think if we're honest, they're probably just as relevant today in 2014 as they were in 1982. And in case you missed it, that's not really a story about fishing. That's a story about Jesus' commission to his church to go and make disciples of all nations. What I love about that story and why I wanted to share it with you is because it addresses an underlying misconception of what disciple-making is, or at least I think what we think it is today in the church. Now let me just be right up front. Discipleship is such a slippery word to try and define today, right? We all have our own ideas and understandings of what discipleship means, but isn't it true often when we hear the word discipleship, what we think of first and foremost, is a program or a class that the church offers to help me grow in my faith in Christ. Does that sound right? What that means is that discipleship is something passive in that sense. It's something passive that happens to me. It, it happens to me. Now, I'm not saying there isn't a part of that in what discipleship is. Of course, there's some of that going on, but the Consider the underlying implication of what that way of thinking brings. It basically says making disciples is whose responsibility? The church's. Right? So if I come to church on Sunday, if I go to a life group or a Sunday school class, if I go to this workshop, if I go to this conference, if I do a million other things the Bible tells me I'm supposed to do, one day oh, I'll become a disciple. And it's all contained in this neatly packaged deal called the church. All I got to do is show up. But that is not, nor was it ever, Jesus' understanding of discipleship. Discipleship isn't just about getting more information for myself so I can become better and smarter and more holy and more obedient. Again, don't mishear me. There's certainly a part of that. But discipleship in Jesus' understanding was always about inviting somebody else into your life into my personal life and helping them grow in their relationship with Christ. That's why the question we're asking in this series called Disciple Makers, if you're following on your notes, is this. Are we becoming disciples who make disciples? 
It's not enough, like that story said, just to talk about fishing or about making disciples, to learn all the latest fishing techniques. At some point, if we are his disciples, we are going to be about the business of actually going and making disciples. Last week, uh, I want to do this again, but Jeff talked about our mission here as a church, and I really hope if you are a regular attender of Cherry Hills, you don't think about this as that's their mission. No, no, no. I hope this has become your mission, right? This is hopefully our personal mission, but we believe God is calling us as a church to declare war on shallow Christianity beginning with ourselves. Listen, we don't want to live hypocritical Christian lives in the shallows. We want to be all in with Jesus here. And the way we do that, which we often don't say, but this is really what this series is all about, we do that by becoming and making disciples who Love the Lord, love one another, and serve the world. Now notice those phrases, by becoming. Yes, there's an element of becoming, right? It's important to go to classes, to grow, to join the life group, to serve. I mean, all those things are a part of becoming a disciple. However, it's inferred that if I am becoming a disciple, I will also be making disciples. Now let me address the elephant in the room right now. I know it's here. I can smell it. (laughs) How many of you right now, anytime a series like this is given in a church, the guilt meter just starts to rise up in your heart? Just admit it. Raise your hand. Oh, not this again, right? Another series on evangelism or another series on sharing my faith, another series on disciple making. I I grew up in the church. Uh, My dad was a pastor and man, every time this stuff would come around, I'd be like, oh, I'd get this big knot in my stomach because I knew I wasn't doing it, or if I was, I wasn't doing it well. And so by the end of the series, you know, like we all do, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to tighten my belt. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to be bold. I'm going for it. Yeah. And I'd fall flat on my face. I'd see no fruit, and I'd give up until the next series on discipleship came along, and I felt the guilt rise back up in my life, and I tried again, and there's this cycle. Can any of you relate to that? A few of you, you're not alone. But what if that doesn't have to be our experience with this whole thing? What if discipleship really isn't a program or a class or a method? What if it's not something you have to even force on others? Ah, that'd be nice. What if it doesn't have to be unnatural even for you? Or guilt-inducing? What if making disciples could just become a part of your everyday life with Jesus? Just like that dance showed, right? Just part of your everyday life. I'd say sign me up for that. Because if you were here last week, we were reminded in Jeff's powerful message, eternity is at stake here for people we love. Eternity is at stake here for people we love. So I want to sign up for this thing. And friends, that's what really the rest of this whole series hopefully is all about helping us see. These next seven weeks, if you're following on your notes, I wanna, uh, uh, we want to help you see that discipleship is not a program. It's not a method. It's not memorizing the four spiritual laws. It's not standing on street corners. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. I don't want to rev up the guilt meter in your life right now. That's not what this is for. I want to, though, help us see that discipling others can become a part of our normal everyday lives with Jesus. They really can. Does that sound okay? 
This morning, my goal is just to give us kind of the big picture of what's going to happen in the next six weeks as uh, others are going to be coming and, and speaking. We're going to get really specific about what it would look like to do lifestyle kind of discipleship. But this morning, I want to talk about Jesus' call to us to even be disciples who make disciples. So why don't you take your Bible, if you brought it with you, and turn it with me to Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Luke is about three-quarters of the way back in your Bibles in the New Testament. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, we say this every week, I'd love for you uh, to follow along by grabbing one of the Bibles in the seat in front of you there, and you can find Luke 5 on page 718. In this passage, Jesus makes his call to disciples abundantly clear, and that's what I want to do this morning. Before we open God's Word together, however, can we pray together? Let's pray for God to do something in our hearts. Lord, I believe I represent most people in this room right now, and we say to you, This is scary. I'm not good at it. I get guilty about not doing it enough. So I pray that you would remove all of those things from our hearts right now. That we would see that your call isn't supposed to be guilt-inducing. It's supposed to be an invitation. And that we really can do this with you. So I pray for my brothers and sisters now. We pray as we open up your words to us, your word, that you would reveal your heart. And that we could walk away from this morning as changed people, not as a result of what I say, but as a result of what you do. We pray this expectantly, because you love to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look at Luke 5, starting in verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now let's just pause and picture the scene here for a minute. Simon, also called Peter, his brother Andrew and his fishing partners, James and John, had just spent the entire night fishing, because that's when you fished here. They fished in a form using dragnets. Do any of you know what dragnets are? These are these giant nets that you would cast out into the shallow waters. I mean, literally 100 feet in diameter. You would cast them out over and over again. Hand over hand, you would pull these nets in, hoping that there would be some fish in them. And we learned that they had done this the entire night. Backbreaking work. You have to be strong to do this kind of thing. But they hadn't caught even one fish. And so it's morning time now. They come to the shore, and they're doing what any good fisherman does. They're preparing their gear for the next night. They're washing their nets. They're mending their nets. They're getting everything ready. They're folding their nets. They're going to put them all in the boat until all of a sudden their normal everyday life was interrupted. Was interrupted by Jesus who is preaching, it says, the word of God. And Jesus decides he's going to use one of their boats as a floating pulpit. Now at first we look at that it was like, why is Jesus doing that? But I've had the chance of actually being in this part of Israel and literally the lake where this took place is like a natural amphitheater. And so Jesus is just thinking, I'm going to use the geography that's been given to me. I'm going to take one of these boats, go a little bit out from the shore, and he wouldn't even have had to have raised his voice. They would have all been able to hear him speak clearly. And so he asks Simon, he asks Peter to use his boat Now, before we move on to the next verse, we have to notice something that would easily we would just pass over normally. If I were just reading this on my own, I would just pass over this. But it's so important for us to stop and look at this little thing that happens in verse 3. Jesus asked Simon what? To do what? 
First to use his boat and to put out a little from the shore. Now he is about to ask him to do us something a whole lot more demanding, and we're going to get there. But notice, if you follow it on your notes, Jesus often tests us with small acts of obedience. Isn't that how life works? Hey, Peter, can I borrow your boat? He's going to ask us small things sometimes before he's going to entrust us with bigger things. That is how life with Christ sometimes works. And I don't want you to miss this really important fact. What if Peter had said no? What if Peter had not obeyed this seemingly insignificant command from Jesus to use his boat and to push off from the shore? Well, he would have missed an even greater miracle, wouldn't he? And I wonder, friends, if in our lives, sometimes we think, well, why aren't I experiencing greater miracles or greater victories or the abundant life Jesus promised or joy in the Lord? And I I think sometimes it's just because we're standing on the shore still. I mean, Jesus, you know, sometimes asks you to do small things of obedience and you go, "Uh, no thanks. Why aren't I experiencing joy in my life? The truth is, I don't want to get in the boat. I know that can be demanding. I know what he's asking from me. But I'll tell you this. There are never any adventures on the shore, are there? The adventures always come when you get in the boat. You got to get in the boat. Peter got in the boat, and look what happens in verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, I don't know how much attention Peter was paying to Jesus' sermon there in his boat. Think about it. He hadn't slept the whole night. This is usually the time of day he probably would have slept. So I'm kind of just picturing Jesus. I know like many of you, when I'm preaching, maybe Peter's just falling asleep, right? It's in the hot sun of the day. I mean, who knows how much attention he's paying. But all of a sudden, Jesus has Peter's full attention, right? I want you to put out into the deep water and let down your nets. Now, we cannot understand how demanding of a request that would have been. These people were lifetime fishermen. They knew this lake. They knew you fish at night. They knew you fished in the shallow water. You don't go into the deep water, into the heart of the day. And this carpenter shows up. He's like, hey, guys, (laughs) I want you to go into the deep water and go fish. They must have felt like telling Jesus, why don't you stick with building chairs and leave the fishing to us, right? Have you ever had somebody, uh, you know, tell you how to do your job, even though you know they're not nearly as competent as you? I mean, can you imagine me telling LeBron James before tonight's game, listen, if you really want to win the NBA championship, let me tell you three things I think you need to do. I'm sure he would listen very intently at what I had to share with him from my junior high B team. I'm telling you, that's how these guys must have felt. They know you don't catch fish in the deep water in the middle of the day. If you're on your notes there, Jesus' call in our lives can be demanding sometimes, can it? Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes it's hard, inconvenient, right? But notice Simon's response in verse 5. Let's read it out loud together. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. If you got your own Bible, circle, underline, star, whatever you need to do those words, because you say so. What an example for us. 
Listen, Jesus' word comes into our lives sometimes, and it's demanding, isn't it? I mean, are you tracking with me? Is Jesus' word sometimes demanding? I referenced the Sermon on the Mount on your notes next to that, uh, you know, that little line there, right? Have you ever read it? It's kind of demanding. Jesus, you want me to do what? Lead a holy life? To be salt and light in the world? To turn the other cheek? To forgive others who have done me wrong because you've forgiven me? To love my wife as Christ loved the church? To respect my husband? To give generously? My time and my money for your kingdom causes. Jesus' word is demanding sometimes. But like Simon, because we know who's given us those commands. Because we know there's no doubt in what he wants. I mean, he makes it clear. He's given us his word. And because we really trust that he wants the best life for us. Because you say so is our response. As his disciples. If you're following on your notes there, because you say so is the only response of a true disciple. You want a definition of discipleship? Discipleship is just total obedience. Total obedience. And I'm going to break it to you. I'm going to break it to you right now if you haven't learned this yet. It's going to mean going out into the deep water sometimes going to be letting down your nets even though you don't understand why or you think you know better but in verses six and seven we see the results of simon's obedience when they had done so they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break so they signaled the partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink what a sight this must have been Here are these fishermen probably rolling their eyes like, okay, we're going to go to the deep waters. This is going to be great. Now i got to wash my nets all over again. And all of a sudden, their boat and the next boat is just so full of fish. Simon gave Jesus command of his boat. Do you understand that a boat is a metaphor for his life? He gave him command of his life. And the reward was abundance. Do you know, if you're following on your notes, that following Jesus always yields reward? Always yields reward. It may not be immediate rewards, friends. But I have verses like Matthew 16, 27, or 1 Corinthians 3, I think 13 there on your notes. There's going to be a day coming when Jesus says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. I have rewards more than you can possibly imagine waiting for you. Because of your obedience to me. You got in the boat. You went out into the deep water. And your obedience always yields a reward. Now look at Peter's response to this reward in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Why is he saying that? Because he knows he's in the presence of God, and that is the only response we can have in the presence of God, right? He is holy. He is other than me. He is not like me. I'm a sinful man. Verse 9. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. They know this is a miracle. 
Now read the rest of this story out loud with me on your notes there. It says, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This was never a story about fishing, just like the story I told you in the beginning, was it? Jesus always had a deeper intention. His call for these men was to be fishers of people. It wasn't just to give them a good catch, a good day's wage. It was to change their life forever. And I'm going to say to you, it hasn't changed for us today. It hasn't changed for us today. Jesus didn't save you or me to keep me safe and comfortable, to stand on the shore while he goes out into the deep waters and does all the stuff. If you're following on your notes there, Jesus' call for his disciples remains the same today. Go fish. Go fish. The exact meaning there is catch people alive. That's powerful. Catch them before they die. Go fish. I love it. When Jesus invites the first four guys to follow him, he makes the agenda pretty clear up front, front, right? I kind of wish he had said, follow me and I'll make you more disciplined. Follow me and I'll make you smarter. Follow me and I'll make you richer or more organized. I could use that. But he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. That's my agenda for those who want to be my disciples. Andy Stanley put it this way. If you're following on your notes, this is stuck with me. Followers eventually fish if they're really following. Think about that. If we're really following Jesus, the fisherman, the God fisherman, we will fish as well. Now, I am sure, put yourself in their shoes right here, I'm sure they were scared to death right now. You want me to do what? I know how to fish a lake. I fish for people. And yet it was because of their initial small steps of obedience that Jesus invites them into this even greater and grander vision. And I got to tell you, they're not very good at this at first, are they? Have you read the Gospels? They stink at fishing for people. My favorite is, you know, they're shooing away the little children. You remember that story? Oh, Jesus doesn't want to see you. And he's like, what? Hello? These are the very people I want to come to me. Or they're arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. But you get to Acts and what happens? These ordinary fishermen actually start to fish for people and they're successful at it. How did that happen? Well, it's because they went to the conference on evangelism, right? (laughs) Or they learned and memorized the four spiritual laws or the Roman road. No, 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 no. It happened because they were empowered by God's very Spirit to do it. Listen, his agenda for me, his agenda for you is still the same today, and I know it can be scary. Let's just say it. It's scary. I know it's confusing. I know it's uncomfortable. Oh, my goodness, is it uncomfortable sometimes. And you know what? We're probably not going to be very good at it at first. But just like them, you know what we have? We have the Holy Spirit of God empowering us to become disciples who make disciples. What can stop that? What can stop that? In many ways, I hope you can sit here this morning and view that as very relieving news. Stop the guilt. 
Stop it. God doesn't expect you, nor has he ever expected you, to do this on your own. You can't do it on your own. He has given you himself, Christ in me, the hope of glory, the mystery of the gospel. He just wants you to give him your ordinary, everyday life as an opportunity, as a tool to do something with it in the lives of others. He'll do the work, but he asks you to get in the boat. And he asks you to push out to the deep waters. i got to say, when we became Christians, if you're a Christian this morning, you probably didn't sign up for this thing, did you? This fishing for people thing? It's not like what really drew you to it. Oh, yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to go be a fisher. No, no, no. Most of us probably came to Christ for selfish reasons. That's, I did. I'd heard uh, about this place called hell and heaven, and my decision for Christ determined where I was going to be. And so I wanted to be in heaven with God, and I gave my life to Christ. I'm sure in many of your lives it's the same thing. Maybe your marriage was falling apart and you needed some intervention or maybe like thousands of others. I mean, this is how it so often works, right? We have this void, this emptiness in our hearts and we try to fill it with other things. Drugs, sex, alcohol, money, TV, whatever. We try to fill it with anything, but it still leaves us empty until finally Christ comes into our lives and he fills it. He's the thing that we've been waiting for and looking for and man, It's a ride. I love following Christ. I love it. Do you? What a journey. What a gift. What grace. What love. It's the best life possible. But once you made that decision, you realize pretty quickly there's a call involved. It's not just about Jesus blessing me and growing me, protecting me, and standing on the shore while everybody else does everything else. No, he says, I want you to get in the boat. Did you push out a little from the shore first? Yeah, you will? All right, let's go to the deep water now. Let's go to the deep water. I know what some of you are thinking right now, because this is what we all think. You're thinking right now, many of you, this is really easy for you, Steve, because you're a preacher. You went to seminary, you're really like, you know everything to say. I don't don't know anything to say. You know what I think? I think it's harder for me because I'm a preacher. I'm not saying that's right. But I think, you know, every time I start talking about it, people are going to be like, oh, here he goes again, the preacher, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) This is what he's supposed to do. That's not the right way for me to be thinking. I I freely admit that. But nor is it the right way for you to be thinking. And yet, that's how we all think. We think, well, they'd be really good at it. Oh, God, man, he's really blessed them as an opportunity to be a great fisher of people, right? Tell me that's not how you think. Oh, there's this person who God rescued out of the pit of sin. I mean, their life was a mess. They've got a story to share. My life is boring. Who wants to hear about being a PK and never rebelling? Which is a miracle in itself, right? I mean, but you know what those people are thinking? They're thinking, oh, you've walked with Christ your whole life. You've been faithful and obedient to him. You've got a word to share. Or or we think, I'm too young. Give me a few more years. I'm too young in the faith. I don't know enough. I'm too old. I'm an introvert. I've used that one. I'm not good at speaking. God loves it when we're not good at speaking. He's like, oh, I want that person, right? Moses, ring a bell. 
But what has happened in the church today is just like that story in the beginning. So we make up all these reasons that we can't possibly be fishers of men, and we become paralyzed. So I'm just going to be brutally honest with you and get this out on the table. I'm going to say what you already think. You're not qualified to be a disciple maker. In fact, you probably stink at it. You probably do. I'm not qualified to be a disciple maker. I will tell you right now, I do stink at it. But that's the point. It's exactly the point God wants you to get. You're not qualified. But he is. And he wants to do it with you. He never asks you to get in the boat alone. He says, I'll go with you to the deep water. Don't worry. I'll be here with you. Just head out. Just take that step. In fact, here's the big idea for this whole morning. I just want you to consider this. Just walk away from this morning and spend some time thinking about this. Is it possible that God has already positioned you in your normal, everyday, boring life to be a disciple maker? And he's just waiting for you to respond. Is it possible, listen, that he's giving you your exact past, even though you didn't ask for it? Your exact personality, your exact job, your exact family, your exact gym membership, your single momness, even though you surely didn't ask for that. Your exact house and your exact neighborhood, your exact experiences. So that he could leverage those things in the life of another person. Is it possible? That's how God works. That this doesn't have to be some guilt-inducing thing. There doesn't have to be all this pressure or this guilt. There just has to be this willingness to see the life that God has given before me every day as an opportunity to get in the boat with him. If you're following on your notes, here's what I want to say about disciple-making. God already has me exactly where he wants me to fish. I made that kind of personal. I'm sorry about that. Can we actually say that out loud together? If you actually believe that, let's say that right now. God already has me exactly where he wants me to fish. Now, that might not be true for some of you, right? You've been avoiding getting in the boat, so don't say like, okay, I'll just stay on the shore. No, no, no. Maybe you're not where God has you because you haven't even left the shore yet. But listen, for most of us, we want to be disciple makers. And he's already got you where he wants you to be. If you don't think that's how this whole thing really works, I want to do a little experiment with you. I want you to think about the person or the people who brought you to Christ. Or maybe you rebelled. So think about the people who brought you back into a relationship with Christ. 99 times out of 100, I'm going to bet that person was not Billy Graham or some master disciple, disciple maker. I'm just going to bet that. I bet you it was an everyday, normal person who God, at a specific time in your life, brought into your life, and they spoke this message of hope to you, and you received it. Does that sound about right for you? In fact, I, I want to say, maybe it even went down a little bit something uh, like this. I'm going to guess that you'd probably heard about Jesus before. You've probably heard the message. This message wasn't new, but it was the messenger who made it come alive, right? It was something about that person or their, that people, their past, their story, their personality, their joy in the Lord. Like, I don't have that. Their concern for you, their timing, whatever it was, there was something about them that intersected at a specific time in your life that was combined with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that brought you to faith in Christ. Can any of you relate to that story? For me, 
it was my dad. Do parents have an opportunity to be disciple makers? Uh, probably the best. Probably the best. And look, I told you I was a PK. I had to sit in church every Sunday. I'd heard the message. I have heard the message, right? But it was the message combined with the person of my dad who actually was living it out at a specific time in my life that all resulted in becoming a disciple of Jesus. Now, all I'm saying is, could you be that for someone else? There's no pressure here. There's no guilt. Why? Remember, if you're on your notes there, God is the one who changes someone's heart. You can't do it. Have you ever tried to be the Holy Spirit for someone else? If you're married, you probably have. How's that go? Not so good. Not so good being the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I can't change anyone. Only God can change a person's heart. But listen, here's the mystery. Here's the mystery of our call if you're following. He changes people by strategically placing his disciples in others' lives. So we need to be willing to respond to God's work when those moments come. I'm telling you right now, that's why Peter was perfect for this whole thing. Don't you dare ever put Peter up on some pedestal and think, oh, I could never be like Peter. Yeah, you can. There's nothing unique about Peter other than his submission to God and his willingness to obey. That's it. Jesus is like, that's the kind of person I'm looking for. Same for us. If you're on your notes, making disciples happens by looking for divine opportunities to be used by God in our everyday lives. Let's just think about that. Looking for divine opportunities to be used by God in my everyday life. Divine opportunities are all around you, I guarantee it. The problem, at least in my life, is I'm just never looking. I got stuff to do. I got church stuff to do, right? I got people to see. I'm just not even looking or aware of what's around me. Last week, if you were here, you were given a postcard. Uh, if some of you uh, were not here, you can pick one of those up on your way out and some baskets there on the back. But, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot this week. I've been praying for some of the names I wrote down on there. And another thing that came to my mind was, where are some of the places God has placed me, right? I mean, I go to my kids' baseball game. Not all the parents there know Christ. Or I go to this specific gym. Or I go to this coffee shop. Or I go to this whatever. I mean, there's places we go in our normal everyday lives. And maybe you don't even know any of the people there yet. But could you write that place on that postcard and start praying? God, help me to see if there's any divine opportunities at the coffee shop today. At the gym. At my son's baseball game. All we are really doing here, friends, if you're looking on your notes there, is just asking this question. Who are some of the people or places God has placed in your everyday life? And then just being on the lookout for what God might be doing and joining him in the work he's doing. I just want to say as we close up this morning, we've got a couple more things to say, but I want to say a word to any of you who may not be Christians and you're here this morning. You're probably sitting here thinking right now, this is exactly why I hate Christians. Because they're talking about pushing their agenda on me. And I just want to say something on behalf of the church with a capital C. Not just Cherry Hills, but this is for the whole church. We don't think we're better than you. Sadly, there are some who come across that way or have even said that. They don't represent us. We don't think we're better than you. We just know 
that we're better off than we were before because we met Jesus Christ. And I would ask you to simply consider this question. What would you think if we didn't share that with you? I mean, what would you really think if we had been given this message of joy, of hope, of life, and we kept it from you? So that, that's just the, the word I would say to you. Some of you know, as we close, I'm a big J.R.R. Tolkien fan. Uh, I haven't quoted him for like three years, so we're due, right? Amen? <laughs> I've been holding off. And there's this great scene in The Hobbit. And I just am so reminded that I'm like Bilbo in this scene where Gandalf first shows up and invites Bilbo on an adventure. And I want you to look at this scene from the movie and tell me if you don't feel this some way sometimes when we talk about making disciples. Bilbo wanted to stay on the shore, didn't he? If you don't know anything about those books, I mean, Gandalf is the Christ figure. And just like Gandalf does there, he's invited us into this amazing adventure. He's told us, get in the boat, come on. We're going out to the deep water. If you're following on your notes there, making disciples is God's invitation to a lifetime of adventure. The question is, will we miss it? Will we be left on the shore with the door locked behind us? Or like Bilbo eventually does, and like Peter did in our story, if you're following, will I obediently accept Jesus' call to fish for people? Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters in this place this morning that you might release something in their hearts, that they wouldn't walk out of this room with guilt, but with hope, with an understanding you've invited us on the adventure of a lifetime, and we get to share it with others. All we're really asking, Lord, is that you'll give us your eyes to see our everyday normal lives the way you see them, and that we will make ourselves available and obedient in those times when you ask us to push out a little from the shore or even to head into the deep water. So I pray over us as a church this week, Lord, help us to look for those opportunities that are all around us, not because we're better, because we are certainly better off in knowing you and your grace, and your love for us. Help us to pass that on to others. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' power, for Jesus' sake, and for your kingdom here on earth. Amen.